0: to you I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell.
1: A battle in the heart of Alabama
2: You're
3: listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
2: Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today... School bus drivers in Huntsville, Alabama, have unionized with the Teamsters. Some uh, corruption is coming out on Rocket City Reckoning. We ask Robin Hyden of Alabama Arise what the hell is going on in Montgomery this session? We take a look at the prospects and the reasons to support Medicaid expansion, all that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, the line is not open because we have just folks, we've got a packed show. We've got a packed show. Don't have time for calls, but if you have something to add to the conversation, send us a text message at the same phone number. And we might reply on the show. Uh, that phone number is 844 899 TVLR. That is 844 899 8857. And we might reply on the show. Speaking of text messages, we've already got one this morning from Infinite Content asking us if we've ever listened to Marvin Gaye's Mercy, Mercy Me. That song is. Absolutely. Even, yes, I have. Even more relevant today than when he released it 50 years ago. I have not, but sounds like I should.
0: Uh, absolutely. You need to listen to the entire album.
2: Okay. Well, there you go. That's, that's on the agenda for this weekend. Folks, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap our hour here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online, especially at our website where we broke, get this, folks, 200 school bus drivers unionized in Huntsville, Alabama, and we broke the story, okay? No other local news mentioned it. Hell, we broke the story, actually, if you really want to really want talk about who broke the story, we broke the story with our last week in Southern Labor segment, hat tip to Jonah Furman, like six, seven, eight weeks ago. And even in the interim, so this, you know, so they... Well, i'm sorry we'll talk tvlr.fm we'll talk about that here in just a second tvlr.fm folks that's where we're putting out written content every single day reporting on the labor movement in alabama in huntsville giving you some relevant information so you're going to want to book bookmark that site tvlr.fm we're going to have great stuff there and also sign up for our newsletter tvlr.fm contact tell us that you want to be on the daily newsletter because every day almost every day almost we send you all of the new content that we have put out so get on that newsletter folks tvlr.fm contact let us know you want to be on the daily newsletter um, so those are going to be the best ways to see what we're doing, but we're also on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're wherever you get your podcasts, all at the Valley Labor Report. If you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, you want to make a one-time donation, buy some of our merch, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm slash store, tvlr.fm contact, or patreon.com slash the valley labor report our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners uh, so it really makes a uh, it makes a huge difference especially now that we have launched our expansion we're about eight hundred dollars short of where we wanted to be, but that still put us at thirty two hundred dollars so we have still been able to go forward with the expansion but um you know April is coming up. So uh if you think that this expansion has been uh has been noteworthy, all of the new written content, the new reporting, shop talk every Thursday morning, all that you think it's valuable, donate to the expansion at TVLR.fm slash expand and uh become a recurring donor at one, two, three, four, five dollars a month, folks. We have um we have I mean thousands of people listen to us every uh every week at least. If, um you know, if if every one of the thousand people that listened to us, you know, gave us five dollars, then that would, you know, obviously we would, uh, the, the thing would be funded and we'd be able to expand even more. But if, you know, just a percent of those folks donated five, donated the cost of half of their dues, you know, the union union members out there, our due my dues are like forty five dollars a month. I know some people's dues are sixty, seventy, eighty dollars a month. If you donated half your dues to the project, that would definitely go a long way. So consider that, folks. And if you're a member of a union, definitely, definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show because while individual donors compiled together go a long way, donations from locals are really just compiled donations from individual donors, right? Um, And so one donation from an individual local or from an international or from your union's PAC super goes a long way. And seriously, if you're on a PAC committee, you got to think about advertising with the program you can even advertise like political stuff has your pack endorsed a candidate has your pack endorsed a a position or a you know something like this then advertise for the position i don't care maybe i don't even have to support it but you can advertise here and that is going to i think at least at least go as far as the same amount of money going to some random politician. For if, you're, if we're talking about value to the labor movement, if we're talking about value to working people, I think that donating to the Valley Labor Report is going to be as or, I would hope, more impactful than giving it to a politician. So consider that, folks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Second all of that. Uh, I do want to add our usual disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed today in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any of those organizations or sponsors. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app, and we are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check it out. As most of you know, we are not media professionals. We're just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. We want to thank everyone for tuning in this morning. Whether you're a loyal fan or a first-time listener, we appreciate you spending some time with us.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dig into this with the Teamsters. Uh, This is some... uh Uh-oh. What's going on? Are we... Okay, we still... We figured out the audio. Um, Yeah, so the uh like i mentioned like i kind of teased in the opening folks we we broke and i don't has there even been any local media reporting on it since not yet
0: that i've seen <laughs> not yet that i've seen that's
2: wild that's absolutely I have wild i half expected
0: someone to copy and paste my article after it came out but uh they haven't even done that yet
2: yeah 200 school bus drivers in alabama in Huntsville, alabama have Oh wow, we've got a um, you know those little snippets on Google. We are uh, the, Google is pulling from our website now. If you Google Huntsville, Alabama school bus drivers unionized, it pulls a snippet from our article. They don't even have to visit our site. Isn't that great? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, Google. Yeah, yeah thanks, Google. But uh, yeah, so on March the eighth, uh, school bus drivers in Alabama's largest city love to point that out, in Huntsville, Alabama, unionized with Teamsters Local 402 with a huge margin of victory, 131 yes to 6 no. 131 yes to 6 no. The nearly 200 drivers contracted by Huntsville City Schools are now officially organized with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. So, I mean, that's some really cool stuff there.
0: It is, yeah. And as my brother Isaac put it, they went from privatized to unionized. <laughs> How right. about that?
2: That's right. We love it. We love to see it. Um, yeah, well, so, you know, what talk to us about that that privatization piece, because that's kind of an interesting dynamic that, that in a way, made this campaign
0: possible. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so a little background. Uh, the drivers work for a company called First Student. Uh, it was Apple Bus. Apple Bus is out of Missouri. They've had a contract with Huntsville City School since 2018. But last year, a, uh Ohio-based company called First Student acquired Apple Bus. Uh, and it just so happens that First Student happens to uh, be all over the country, and the Teamsters deal with them all over the country. So Huntsville City Schools has been a pioneer of privatization of support services among school district staff in uh, in Alabama. And, you know, really, they have paved the way for other districts, unfortunately. So with this practice, what we're talking about is the school district takes what would normally be a public sector job with all the retirement, healthcare, salary, legal rights, etc. that comes with that. And instead of it being public sector, it's outsourced or privatized. The school district, instead of directly employing those positions, will hire staffing agencies and contractors to fill the positions. And see, Huntsville City Schools has long outsourced its school bus drivers. I can't even remember, you know, how long that's been happening. a very long time. And over the past 15 years, the school district has privatized a significant portion of its other support services, relying on agencies like Spur, Kelly Services, those kind of companies to provide the school system's cafeteria workers, custodians, security guards, instructional assistants, uh, even receptionists and office staff. You can walk into a Huntsville City school and run into three or four adults before you find someone who actually works for the school district. And, you know, as you can imagine, these outsourced workers typically lack paid sick leave, a defined benefits pension due process rights, and the other benefits and rights established by Alabama state law and local school board policy for public school employees. However, because these workers are not directly employed by the public school district, they fall under private sector rules regarding unionization. And, of course, the framework for private sector unionization is established by the National Labor Relations Act, the NLRA, which is overseen by the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB. And this victory, this huge victory, comes amid a series of wins for the Teamsters as they are organizing school bus drivers all over the country. Uh, So that includes wins at this company, at First Student, which again bought Apple Bus back in 2022. And the Teamsters have negotiated with them successfully across the country They've also organized new unions just in the past few months. They've had successful elections under the NLRB. Uh, they had one in Amarillo, Texas, where 98 first student school bus workers voted 61 to 9 to join Teamsters Local 577. And they also won in South Sioux City, Nebraska, with a 24 to 6 win, with those 35 school bus drivers now in Teamsters Local 554. So, Really just fantastic news to see privatized employees just take matters into their own hands and organize. Uh, Credit to these bus drivers, credit to Teamsters Local 402 and their business agent, uh, Joe Gronick. Really, uh, this is a fantastic victory. And I can speak not just for me, but I think for all of us at the Valley Labor Report that we're excited about it. And we really uh, welcome these brothers and sisters into our local, local labor movement.
2: Absolutely absolutely looking forward to uh looking forward to uh you know continuing to update y'all on the story so you know like i yeah, said we'll have more the, we'll yeah have we're more. gonna have more we're gonna have we're gonna uh you know hopefully lord willing be able to talk to some of these bus drivers talk to some of the organizers yeah uh, so make sure that you bookmark tvlr.fm because we'll be updating uh as we get uh, we'll be giving y'all updates as we get them folks um so make sure that you do that
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're
2: going to go ahead and take a break really quick. And then on the other side, we're going to be talking to Robin Hyden of Alabama Arise about the legislative session that's happening right now here in Alabama. Uh, So don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with the Valley Labor Report.
1: IBW 558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice.
2: Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org.
4: The attorneys at Maple's Tucker and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maple's Tucker and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples Tucker and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law
0: firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org.
2: Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. Labor Creates all wealth. All the wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. We're going to jump right into our interview with Robin Hyden from Alabama Arise. Uh, the, legislation has, uh, the legislative session has started. Um, but uh, and so Robin is going to be talking to us about that. She is the executive director of Alabama Arise. Um, before we talk about the legislative session, um, uh, as far as what's happening, we're going to discuss Alabama Arise's legislative priorities. Um, Medicaid expansion is, of course, a huge uh, part of that, and we have actually pre-recorded a an interview with uh, Debbie Smith dedicated to that that we're going to be playing after we finish our interview with Robin. And so, uh, Robin, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to us again.
5: Good morning. Happy weekend, everybody.
2: Yep. Happy Saturday. Uh, Glad glad, uh, the week is over. Not looking forward to Monday already. (laughs) (laughs) So, Robin, talk to us about what y'all are targeting this year. What are the issues that y'all are zeroing in on?
5: As you all know, Alabama RISE is a member-led organization. That means our members pay dues, our members select our priority legislative agendas to help poor and working class folks at the state house. So as always, we're working to expand access to affordable health care via Medicaid expansion. Um, We've been working on that for the past 10 years, and I feel like we're closer than we've ever been before. Working to untax groceries and other essential items at the checkout aisle, we know that inflation um is hammering folks right now uh it's absolutely crazy that we rely on taxing chicken and green beans to fund education uh we're also working on things like funding for public transit and affordable housing through this year's arpa um, american rescue plan relief funding voting rights expansion we know that we have no power um, for self-directed democracy if we can't access the polls We're working on criminal justice reforms, especially targeting things like fines and fees, crimes of poverty. We shouldn't be throwing people in jail just because they can't afford to pay a speeding ticket. We shouldn't be taking away people's driver's licenses just because um, of the same issue. Uh, And we're working on death penalty reform. Out of all of our issues in our criminal justice system, the most egregious is the fact that people are executed Um, just for the crime of being poor and having poor representation. So those are what we're working on. And we got um, some big hills to climb at the statehouse this year.
2: Absolutely. And if y'all want some more details about uh, Alabama Arise's uh, legislative priorities, uh, the first article on our website right now at tvlr.fm is a review of their their policy session that uh, they had about a week and a half ago now where they reviewed some of these policy priorities as well as um, y'all talked about some of the best ways to actually get involved in the legislative process. You talked about, um, you know, even when to contact legislators, what legislators would, uh, you know, be the best to, um, you know, be the best to contact, which ones are maybe the most movable. And so uh, if people want it, and so you can go to our website tvlr.fm to check that out. And if people wanted to get involved with y'all directly, where would they need to go to do that?
5: You can join us on our website, alarise.org, A-L-A-R-I-S-E dot You can join us as a member um, for a gift of any amount. We would love to have you. You can sign up for legislative alerts, um, event notifications. We've got actually a legislative day coming up on Tuesday. We're going to the Capitol to talk about Medicaid expansion at 11 a.m., in two weeks, we have another legislative day. These are great events. If you've never been involved in state policy or met with your lawmaker, um, you're not going to be alone there, and we we love to have you join us.
2: Fantastic. So let's talk about the session then. Um, what has uh, the the biggest thing right now is that the K I V signed this billion dollar ARPA expenditure, right?
5: Yes, huge news. We finally spent the $2 billion that our state was given um, by the federal government over two years ago uh, for COVID relief funding. And we're not thrilled with everything that was done with that money. Y'all know about two years ago, um, they decided to spend $400 million of that just on building new prisons. Uh, But the bulk of the rest of that money has gone to necessary COVID relief Priorities like funding for hospitals, nursing homes. Um, <clears throat> we know that our healthcare system has been in crisis and will be in crisis without further support. Um, there's funding in those bills for broadband, which, you know, we have some concerns about how much money is going to corporations without a lot of regulation or oversight. Um, but broadband infrastructure is a public good that we hope more electric cooperatives. And counties and municipalities can be involved in administering. There's funding in there for sewer and water infrastructure, which is in dire straits in most of our communities all over the state. So there's a lot of really good um, priorities that were funded through that second round of ARPA money, and that was over $1 billion.
2: Why was it able to pass with so little debate, do you think?
5: I think that the leadership in the House and Senate did a lot of work uh, between sessions to hear out member priorities from all sides. I think the finance department is responsible for administering those funds at the state level. They were really adamant that those funds have to be spent only on certain priorities, which is true. Um, The feds have a lot of regulations about what does or does not count as COVID relief funding, so I think they were able to tell lawmakers, unfortunately, everything you want to do can't be done with this money. I think they created several really large buckets of flexible allocations so that even though the allocations, the appropriations have now been made, there's still flexibility. For example, one of the pots of money is a $55 million that is just a broad range of priorities to help regular folks harmed by the economic impacts of COVID-19. And we're really excited about that money because um, they mentioned affordable housing, nutrition supports. Uh, We feel like there's a lot of ideas that can be funded with that money. And now our job as advocates is to go to the finance department and prove these are allowable uses of those funds and this is how it can help people still recovering from COVID-19. So in general, I think they had some new lawmakers coming in this year. They had a lot of big ideas, um, but they basically said, we are never going to be able to (laughs) get through the session if if we spend every minute debating every priority. They kind of said, we'll let the finance department handle this. um, And they made it work.
2: And so, you know, there are several uh, outside of this which that you know that spent a billion dollars in like a week and a half you know that's a really kind of it's al- almost i don't know it, it it's pretty wild to me even though what would you say the uh the overall you know if you had to to rate the um the the arpa expenditure how how would you grade it a b c d f <laughs> What 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 would you say
5: I would give us a solid A minus. I'm saying A this was minus. Wow. Especially for this round of funding. If you have to grade them on round one of ARPA, I think that mm-hmm. was a solid D. Um, when we that's what money- included
2: the prisons, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you average the two A minus and D, you get somewhere with a C range.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, it, we are not the only state that took that money and immediately put it towards prisons and jails. And I think that is just a really sad statement on our priorities as a state and as a country. I
3: Where? think that was a missed opportunity
5: yeah, um yeah. but when you look at the other items that were funded, in general, the fact that the legislature said, we've got to get together and put our egos aside and, like, have some consensus, you know, it's it is a shocking amount of money. And there are billions and billions of other dollars that have been appropriated without even any legislative approval or oversight. Um, so the amount of funds that have been going into our state economy um, to provide relief, to boost pay for state employees, um, to boost pay for childcare workers, to boost pay for home care workers, all of that was done without a lot of legislative complaining or um, bellyaching about federal funding. Um, and and that's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. Where are we at on those, on that uh, those prison expenditures are presumably, you know, everything is being done um, ahead of schedule and, and under budget. Is that, is that right?
5: You know, that's exactly how things work when you have a no bid contract with no transparency or oversight. Absolutely. Right, obviously. Uh, <laughs> you know, the shocking news this week was that one men's mega prison, the, the largest mega prisons that are going to exist in our country, which is, um, already the largest police state in the world. Those prisons are going to well exceed our budget projections. To date, I have never heard of one prison costing $1 billion. I, I think every Alabamian should be asking questions and calling their representatives. Uh, it's, it's pretty sad both that we know even if these prisons were constructed on time and under budget, they're not going to solve our, our issue, which is that we're throwing people in jail locking them up for life um for untreated mental illnesses untreated drug addiction um and just simply really stupid crimes so all of that said it's hard to even get into parsing out who screwed this up the most um but we know it's not the solution to our state's problems
2: the so it, you said it was 400 million from uh, Arpa funds in the first round that went to prisons. Uh, where is the extra money? You know, now we're talking about a billion dollar prison expenditure. Where is that extra money going to come from?
5: That's a good question. The original plan, um, I know, I believe that what Ivy wanted to do, she didn't want taxpayers to read that we had spent over a billion dollars on prisons. So they were very careful to only appropriate under a billion from State General Fund money, from the ARPA money, and then the rest of it was going to come from a bond issue. We know that a lot of activism and organizing actually skewered um, that, that funding attempt to fund that bond issue. Banks don't want headlines about how they are funding mass incarceration. So, you know, several banks had to pull out of various funding rounds and I, you know, given the state of inflation, banking right now, the global economy, I'm not sure how the state is going to finance the prisons that they have planned to build.
2: Mm. I guess we're, I guess we're going to figure it out. Um, so, you know, moving on into the rest of the legislative session, you know, there are several bills that are being uh, thrown around, um, tax cuts, uh, rebates, there's a big privatization push uh, for public, um, in the public school area. Um, you know, there's, you mentioned some criminal justice reforms that y'all are pushing. Uh, what is your read on, you know, if you were going to give us a, um, a prediction for the rest of the legislative session and your comfort level, how, how, how are you feeling about the the rest of the session?
5: Let me say this. I've been a registered lobbyist now for four legislative sessions Two of uh, two and a half of those have been really unusual years, COVID years. Hmm. If I could predict what was going to happen at the state house, um, I would probably get paid a lot more than I get paid. <laughs> Everyone, even the most seasoned political watchers, are saying this is a really unique time that we're in. The leadership in the house has basically allowed multiple ideas to surface there is no strong, you know, we're doing this on only this push. That means that we've heard multiple proposals to untax groceries. Um, We know that the governor has her proposal to give a tax rebate, um, but legislators don't actually seem that interested in promoting that proposal. It would cost way too much money and it's not very targeted to workers who need that help the most. Uh, I would hope that our proposal to untax groceries makes it on the ballot because you know one of the things we've heard over and over again is that even Republicans and and right wingers are in um in a tough situation right now, right They have to they want to be fiscally conservative, they don't want to um, raise taxes. We have a huge budget surplus and yet we know that a lot of the solid revenue that's coming into our economy is because of federal relief. Um, We know that even if the economy um, most workers are really struggling right now. So as the economy starts to level off um, and right size itself, we are going to have some cutbacks in education and in other programs, and they're trying to figure out how to balance the need to provide tax relief and to say that they're fiscally conservative, while also acknowledging that we have the lowest tax burden almost of any state in the country. It's just the fact that we tax poor folks more than anybody else. So um, there is this cognitive dissonance of, oh, wait, we've got $2 billion in the education trust fund budget, but we can't afford to cut (laughs) grocery taxes because next year we might need that money. And both of those things are true. Um, What we're proposing is getting rid of a a tax loophole that benefits wealthy, wealthy taxpayers. It's called the federal income tax deduction. We'd have to put that on a ballot. Uh, All of us would have to go vote and say, essentially, we think it's unfair to give this huge disproportionate tax breaks to upper income earners while we're taxing people on the basic necessities of life. So my hope is that um, lawmakers will come together and coalesce around one good idea to remove grocery taxes and we'll see if that happens
2: on the grocery tax stuff. There are some, there's some conversation about just not replacing the revenue um, by, you know, just untaxing groceries and not replacing the revenue. And that conversation is being given air by house minority leader, Anthony Daniels, a Democrat from Huntsville. He was on, I think it was, what was it? The, Uh, Capital TV or something where he was talking about how, yeah, well, you know, maybe we don't need to replace this funding. Maybe it'll just like magically appear, Uh, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe that's what's going to happen. Why is he giving air to that conversation?
5: I kind of wonder if it's just trolling, to be honest, that is a classic right-wing argument. It's voodoo economics. It's trickle down. It's not real. You know, the fact is if I, I would be thrilled, right. If let's say, I only have one other person in my household, so I spend $200 every two weeks on groceries. That's probably very low, honestly. Um, If I save 4% every two weeks on $200, I'm not then going to turn around and go spend $200 on some other sales taxable item, right? That just doesn't make any sense at all. So I've had this conversation with Leader Daniels with all respect. Um, I, I think everyone knows that math really doesn't work. Now we have seen the city of clay actually took the step to cut their grocery tax in half, uh, just to see what would happen. And they have a rollback provision. I think that if their revenue falls too much that you know they would reassess that. Um, and they are they have come out and said, so far it hasn't been too bad of a hit to their funding. But I can see the idea of let's try it for a month or two months and see how it works out. We just know historically, that education costs money, food is one of those expenses that people spend money on every month, and it reliably does bring in sales taxes. So I don't think we should be taxing food, but we shouldn't be dishonest about the fact that it will cost our state money to lose that tax revenue.
2: Yeah, that seemed very very odd to me and 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 even I mean even potentially kind of dangerous because like I said it gives air to this conversation that that we can just do this without any repercussions in in my view and like you said if you save twenty dollars 20 you know forty dollars a month you're not going to be able to go and and spend four hundred dollars on some other sales taxable item that's a very good point and and it's also a very good point that taxing groceries, because grocery, you know, wh- there's there's this idea in economics of elasticity, you know. And so when when my budget, if I were to take a pay cut, what are some of the first things that would go? Eating out, um, you know, going to the movies, things like this. I'm going to continue to buy groceries. And so there's this, rel- you know, groceries are a relatively stable item that you can expect stable income from. But if we get rid of that stable income and we just hope, that you know out of out of nowhere we continue to get more sales taxes from you know stereos or or, or flat screen TVs in in an economic downturn we'd be our, we'd be uh uh putting our education budget in even more of a uh of a risk because it's dependent now on even more Elastic goods, goods that are going to be even more likely to be cut in a household budget in uh, whenever there's, you know, a household recession, let's say. Um, And so I don't know. It's it was very concerning to me.
5: I was concerned. And now the other on the other side, I'm concerned about some proposals from Republicans, which they only want to untax quote untax healthy foods. Mm. I don't think that it's the government's job to decide what is or is not a healthy food. And in fact, I can't believe that any um, conservative person, small government person would make that argument as well. And grocers will tell you they also don't want to be in the position of deciding item by item what is or is not health food, not health food. Um, Senator Orr has proposed a bill that would only untax foods that are eligible for the WIC program. WIC is a very limited program for women, infants and children. Basically, it's designed to support high calcium foods that are good for for moms who are nursing and for infants and toddlers. So, yes, baby food is on that list, whole grain um, breads and brown rice. Canned beans and dried beans, but a lot of foods that we would consider essential staples are not on that list. So, that is a proposal that's floating around out there. It's just so limited. It would be a good first step to start to untack some foods, but enforcing it practically would be really, really tough. If you've ever been on WIC or know someone on WIC, I mean, they get down to you have to buy the cheapest brand of this certain item, only the size of a can. Right. And ultimately, it's just let people buy the food they want to eat. People know what's best for them. Um, and like we can find the tax revenue by actually making our income tax system more fair. Right. Right.
2: School privatization is another one that is, there's a lot, a lot of conversation about this right now. Um, and I think partially because school privatization is not a popular thing among. Uh, you know, parents and teachers and communities, uh, there's a lot of concern about it. And so uh, there is a really big push among uh, pushers of privatization and vouchers to try to get this done in the first year of the quadrennium so that the push uh, so that the electoral consequences are the least Um you're in you know you you're in Montgomery, uh you're walking around these people every day. How do you feel about the prospects of one of these big school, you know, school choice quote unquote bills going through?
5: I don't think we can relax. I think we have to be really concerned that these types of proposals are really moving ahead in Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. But so far in Alabama, I have not seen one proposal that has any traction. And And I think that's because so many of our lawmakers do represent rural districts. They know how important those public school institutions are to their communities. Um, They know that diverting funds to private schools or to charter schools isn't going to help most of the kids that they represent. Um, So we've gotta be honest about the fact that it's a real threat. It is just a cash grab, but I'm really, speaking of how we grade how our legislature is doing, Um, So far i've been happy to see that most of them are not falling for the lie, and we've got to keep up the pressure because i'm a product of public schools. Um, So many people across our state rely on schools to be stronger, and we can't do that if we're stealing their money every chance we get.
2: Well, that's that's good to hear, um, because hearing the talk on right wing radio definitely makes me concerned. But um, but maybe some of that doesn't trickle down to uh, uh, to actually the state capitol. And another one is uh, another one of these, you know, uh, conversations that y'all are wanting to push is criminal justice reform, uh, particularly around um, around uh, driver's licenses. How, How how do you feel? the conversations are going around that.
5: It was really discouraging to see how close we came last session to passing a driver's license reform bill. I believe Senator Barfoot had this bill. He's the Judiciary Committee uh, member. And it's very common sense, right? If we need workers in our state uh, and we want people to, we want to support public safety, taking away people's driver's licenses just because they um, didn't pay a ticket or had an expired tag is not help public safety or our communities as a whole. So I think that what happened last year was um, our attorney general unfortunately came out and made some really incorrect and fear-mongering statements about this bill. I think we just have to keep pushing the the facts. Unfortunately, it takes longer to get things done if you follow the facts, but um, the fact remains- we have a huge worker shortage, We, our jails are overflowing, our prisons are overflowing, this tough on crime, uh, lock everyone up mentality has not served us well. And I think a lot of this posturing is, it's based in classism and racism. It's not based in the reality of what will make our state a, a safer place to live. So it's gonna be tough. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of new lawmakers coming in now who, really want to seem tough and um and and want to trade on the politics of fear and we have to say this is fear is not a good uh metric to make public policies around we've we've shown that you know we can make our community better by investing more in education and mental health care um substance use disorder treatments um versus hey if you screw up um we're sorry, you have footed your life and you must pay <laughs> through, you know, the decades yeah. for mistakes that you've made.
2: Absolutely. Uh, there was a big anti-protest bill that went forward uh, last year, last session that did not pass. And I haven't seen any talk about it being resurrected this session. Do you think that that kind of issue is, is lost its resonance among uh, among the folks that would be interested in passing such a bill?
5: I wouldn't be surprised to see it again. Unfortunately, it's a take your pick. Is it going to be um attacking trans kids or gender non-conforming people? Is it going to be fear mongering about protesters? Um, what is gonna be the red meat issue of the year? Trying to ban abortion even more, you know, these are not. <laughs> um, I do I do find it interesting to look at some of the discourse around protest and how it shifted after January 6th. <laughs> Um, after it shifted uh, with the trucker protests that were going on, protest is a great American tradition. The roots of our country go back to protest. So the more we can point that out, I think um, it gives the lie to the fact that this, this bill is is anti-American and it's unconstitutional.
2: Any uh, Anything else? Any other big issues that we should be tracking?
5: I think we got to keep an eye on Medicaid expansion. I know you you're speaking to Debbie about that too uh, we do have a big rally coming up Tuesday at the State House there is a lot of excitement about the fact that North Carolina with a Republican majority legislature is this close to expanding Medicaid uh and I think Alabama lawmakers are paying attention to that for the past 10 years it has felt like politically um, just an insane decision to leave all this federal money on the table that could be going to support rural hospitals and healthcare right. for working Alabamians. I think that, you know, the time to be afraid of the issue is over, and I'm hoping that lawmakers are, are going to act on that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, we're going to be talking to uh, Debbie about that more in depth. Uh, folks, if you want to get involved with Alabama Arise, you can go to their website, alarise.org. dot O-R-G. A-L-A-R-I-S-E dot O-R-G. They've got an upcoming lobby day uh, in Montgomery on Tuesday. Uh, so, um, Robin, appreciate your time uh, and we'll definitely be keeping in touch.
5: Thank you, Jacob. Take care.
2: All right, folks, we're going to be going into another break on the other side. We're going to be previewing some of this stuff that's going on in Huntsville City Schools. Besides the bus drivers unionizing, there's another big story coming out of Huntsville City Schools that we're going to let y'all in on, uh, let you know where to find more information, as well as talking about Medicaid expansion. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report.
1: There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW 558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW 558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IVW558.org.
2: Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org.
1: O-R-G. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO.
2: The Laborers International Union of North America Local 366 is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256 415 7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better, work union, Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only Union Talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. Sorry about
0: that, y'all. Our files got mixed up.
2: (laughs) My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, give us a text message uh, at 844-899-TVLR. That's right.
0: That's right. And uh, earlier this morning, we were speaking of Huntsville City Schools and the fantastic victory by Teamsters 402 in organizing those school bus drivers. So, on the subject of Huntsville City Schools, I want to bring attention to a new muckraking effort called Rocket City Reckoning. RocketCityReckoning.com is a new website that contains explosive allegations against Huntsville City Schools and its leadership. That includes allegations of abuse and cover up, allegations of corruption and profiteering, allegations of mismanagement, and more. Uh, Now, we are speaking with the team behind Rocket City Reckoning to schedule an interview, hopefully for next weekend's episode. But in the meantime, check it out for yourself. See what you make of it. It's my understanding that there's a lot more to come. And since the effort went live a week ago, a lot more tips have come in. The folks behind Rocket City Reckoning have tried to work the official channels. They've tried to go about things the right way and it didn't work. They tried pursuing change within the school district the recommended way, and it didn't work. They tried the desegregation advisory committee. That didn't work. They tried the traditional media, the local press, lawyers. Nobody was brave enough to touch any of this, or to take on the Huntsville City Schools and its powerful law firm, Lanier Ford. So after banging their head against the wall, and more walls, and then more walls, last weekend, Rocket City Reckoning went live as a website, and has been drip, drip, dripping information ever since. What you make of it is, of course, up to you. But the allegations being made are very serious, serious enough to warrant your attention if you're any kind of stakeholder in Huntsville City Schools. And I want to take this as a moment, as a brief opportunity to reiterate that while I will always defend public education from the privatizers and the corporate reformers, I also know intimately well How flawed some of our public school systems really are, and how they've been sabotaged from the inside out by bullies, crooks, narcissists, and profiteers. Huntsville City Schools has long been a toxic climate and damaged by misleadership. It's essential that public schools be of, by, and for the public. That means power back into the hands of the educators, students, and parents not six-figure bureaucrats and their lawyers and contractors. It's up to all of us to ensure our local public school districts are operating cleanly, competently, and equitably. Unfortunately, some of public education's worst enemies come from inside the ranks. Crooked superintendents, incompetent HR directors, bully administrators. They give all of us who care about public schools a bad name. And it's clear to me that while we defend public education from outside threats, we also have to get our own house in order and democratically revitalize our public schools from the bottom up in order to provide the education our students, parents, educators, and communities truly deserve. So, I wanted to share that with you. Uh, check it out, Rocket City Reckoning. Hopefully, we'll have an interview with them uh, next weekend. But in the meantime, especially if you are local, uh there's, there's some really explosive stuff on that website, uh, some very strong allegations. So it may be worth your time checking it out. Uh, and without further ado, we are going to play this interview with Debbie Smith from Cover Alabama. We mentioned uh, Medicaid expansion as a big push earlier with Alabama Rise. And so we spoke with Debbie about Medicaid expansion and its prospects this year. So check it out. For workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell.
1: A battle in the heart of Alabama caught her attention.
2: You're listening
3: to Alabama's only Union Talk Radio show, The Valley Labor
0: Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks, you are listening to The Valley Labor Report. This is Alabama's only Union Talk Radio show, and I'm very excited we have Debbie Smith on the show to talk to us about Cover Alabama, the very important work that they're doing at Cover Alabama, and how you can get involved. So Debbie, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me.
3: Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the work that you do and why folks should join in the, join the effort, I uh, wanted to ask you just to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, uh, what's your role with Cover Alabama and a little bit about your background.
3: Yeah, so um, I'm Debbie Smith and I am the campaign director for Cover Alabama at Alabama Arise. Um, I recently took on this role um, back in December of 2022. Uh, before I was the Cover Alabama campaign director, I was an, the Northeast Alabama organizer for Alabama Rise for about five years. Um, so this work is, is not new to me. Um, and even before I joined Arise, I also uh, did health advocacy work in Mississippi at the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program for Six years, um, did some health advocacy work there, as well as um, some direct service work. I used to sign people up for health insurance coverage and help them if they had any issues with their insurance coverage and including accessing Medicaid.
0: So, yeah, you've, you've definitely been on the front lines of the healthcare fight here in the South. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, I think we may have a hometown in common. Uh, because I'm from Meridian, Mississippi, and I know maybe you've, you've spent some time in Meridian. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I claim Meridian. Um, I was actually born in Virginia, but, uh, my dad was in the Navy and, um, uh, was stationed. That was the last place that he was stationed. <laughs> it was a Naval Air Base. So that's where I graduated high school. That's where I went to community college, where I met my husband. Um, so yeah, I claim it as my hometown. <laughs>
0: Great. Yeah. It's always nice to uh, run into fellow uh, Meridian folks up here in Alabama. So that's awesome. Well, Debbie, uh, and yeah, I got to know you when you were, you were still in that role with Arise doing good work out in the Scottsboro, Jackson, DeKalb County area. Uh, So very excited to see you in this position. So tell us what is Cover Alabama?
3: Yeah. So um, the official language is uh, we're a Nonpartisan alliance of 120 community partners, consumer groups, businesses, healthcare providers, and faith groups advocating for the state of Alabama to provide quality, affordable health coverage to its residents and implement a sustainable healthcare system. Uh, so basically, we're just a, a, a group of organizations working together trying to convince the state to expand Medicaid, is really what it comes down to.
0: Right, right. And, and I was going to ask you, you know, kind of to explain what your mission is and what kind of work you're doing. Uh, but maybe before you, you dive into that too much, remind folks, what is Medicaid expansion? Why is that even, you know, a topic of discussion?
3: Yeah, it's a topic of discussion because um, there are a lot of people who, um, have low incomes in our state, and still don't have access to to health insurance coverage. Um, There's a lot of people in what we call the health coverage gap that um, expanding Medicaid would help with. Um, So people in the coverage gap, um, they essentially they make too much for Medicaid to qualify for it as as Medicaid is right now, but not enough to um, qualify to get help paying for their premiums on the health insurance marketplace through obamacare so they're kind of stuck in the middle with too much too much income from medicaid but not enough to get help from the health insurance marketplace um, and a lot of people don't know that the income level for medicaid is extremely stringent uh adam do you know what the income level is for a
0: four figures or something right it's a very very small amount in a year yes
3: yes it's very low. So for a family of three, um, the monthly income limit is $372 a month for a working adult um, to be able to access insurance coverage. Now that's, if uh, they have to have a child as well in order to be able to access that coverage. And there are different income limits for people with disabilities, um, people in nursing homes, and pregnant women and children, that those are higher income limits. But if we're talking about um, people, you know, like young adults and between 18 and 65, um, then that's the income limit that you're looking at. And you have to have a child. So if you have a very low income and you don't even, you don't take care of a child, um, then it's possible that you have absolutely no access to Medicaid coverage. Um, At the other end of the spectrum, um, again, you have to have that minimum income in order to get help to pay for health insurance coverage on the health insurance marketplace. Um, you actually have to make $2,072 a month in order to qualify. So $2,072 or more per month in order to get help on the health insurance marketplace. So obviously, there, that's that, that's a huge gap, right? Um, so you can be a to give you an example um a single mom with two kids um working 40 hours a week at nearly 12 dollars an hour would make extremely too much for medicaid as it is but not enough to qualify for help on the health health insurance marketplace um so yeah uh it's pretty pretty stringent requirements there's a lot of people who would benefit from medicaid expansion about 300,000 people um across the state would would benefit from us closing this gap and filling this hole and um, allowing these people to access health coverage where they don't have any other options right now
0: right and that, i was going to ask that in terms of the amount of people this is not just a you know a handful of folks that are caught in this gap when you're talking about such a drastic difference um you know 300,000 roughly uh, alabamians who fall in this gap and uh you know the idea that a a working class mother a single mom making 12 bucks an hour could not qualify for medicaid in the state of alabama but of course won't be able to afford you know decent health coverage if it's even offered through their job i mean it's just right.
3: yeah so we're thinking about restaurant workers we're thinking about home health aid workers childcare workers like these are all people that you want to be healthy too um and they're their so
0: and, and y'all have highlighted like barbers uh yeah. hairdressers folks like uh-huh. that that you know maybe aren't um aren't as in the news aren't aren't as discussed as much but again there's another group of workers who are interfacing with the public every single day and they are caught in this gap so yeah. So Cover Alabama, as you mentioned, as a coalition of groups, mm-hmm. um, you know, y'all are doing the work of pushing for Medicaid expansion, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, on this show, we've been very clear about as, as one of to me and, and to Jacob as well. It's just one of those no brainer policies that, you know, it's sad that we're, we're still having to, to argue over it and, and advocate for it. But uh On that mission to achieve Medicaid expansion in Alabama, y'all have an upcoming lobby day. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about your upcoming lobby day? When is it and and what are you guys trying to do there?
3: Yeah, so we're really, really excited about our upcoming lobby day. This is gonna be Cover Alabama's very first lobby day since we launched in April of 2020. Um, And basically, really, it's just a fancy, rally that we're going to have at the state house for medicaid expansion um, so we're going to have various speakers there to talk about the need for medicaid expansion so we'll have people who are actually in the coverage gap sharing their stories of what it's like to be in the coverage gap and and why they're why they're there why we should expand medicaid um, i think those are the stories we want to highlight and uplift the most because uh, it really personalizes it puts a face on medicaid expansion you know not just a topic uh, you know, not just a hot topic around the the state house. These are real people who are suffering, right? Um, so we want people to to see and hear those stories because they're so important. Um, in addition to that, we're also going to have uh, business leaders, faith leaders, um, rural healthcare providers talking about their different perspectives on why we we need to close the coverage gap in in Alabama. So it'll be about an hour long um you know again rally type bill we're hoping people will bring signs um and we'll be inviting the press there as well to to cover the event uh really excited about it and i'm really hoping um that people you know walk away with a sense of inspiration and um that we can get this done um i didn't tell you the date and time did i Yeah. Yeah, okay. so um, it's going to be Tuesday, March 21st um, at 11 a.m to noon. Um, it's going to be at the in Montgomery on the State House steps. Um, and so people will just meet up at 11 o'clock and have a chance to gather materials. Um, again, just have the opportunity to listen to those speakers that I just mentioned. And then after the the rally slash press conference, um, we're going to make sure that people have all the materials that they need to go speak with their lawmakers right after that rally and let them know that they would like to see Medicaid expanded in Alabama.
0: So if someone's listening and, and you know, they've never been to the state house before, they've never, you know, lobbied, quote unquote, their legislator, yeah. uh, y'all are going to try to make it as painless a process as possible. You know, it seems yes. like y'all are really trying to prepare folks. So uh, as you yeah. said, right after the event. They can go, they can find their state senator, their state representative and have a conversation.
3: That's right. And we'll again, we're going to have those materials that you need um, as far as we'll have talking points ready for you. We'll have uh, fact sheets that you can give to your legislators with the information about who's in the coverage gap, as well as the economic impact, because let me tell you, those numbers are great. Um, And uh, So people can just share that information with their lawmaker prescribed afterwards. Um, But if you register in advance, you'll also get a packet um, to help prepare you uh, beforehand with all that information, as well as a training of our grassroots lobbying um, training that we did about a month ago that you could potentially watch to help you get prepared for the lobby day.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the things I really love about Cover Alabama and Alabama Rise that y'all are working with is... Uh, y'all are very intentional about supporting your members in doing the work. Uh, you know the the thing about it is that even though this is a huge coalition and it does involve you know some fairly uh, prominent folks. It does involve business groups and and faith leaders. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, when ordinary citizens from the grassroots level are fighting to make policy changes, we don't often have the benefit of high-dollar lobbyists and uh, you know huge PAC contributions that are behind us and things of that nature. It's, it's all about the people power. And so yes. I, I feel that y'all really uh, try to harness that people power. And I think the experience of hearing from folks in the coverage gap, I would hope it's going to be very powerful for, for folks to take away uh, because in my experience – uh, you know, we can speak statistics and we can talk facts. And, and while I love that stuff, not everybody does, right? You know, you say 300,000 people could get health care and, you know, some some folks may struggle to conceptualize. Well, 300,000, okay. But when you start to, to hear the personal stories of someone's mother,
2: someone's uh-huh. brother,
0: someone's child, uh, who's working hard day after day, but, but just can't get ahead because of the, the high cost of health care, and there's something on the table to fix it, I yeah. think that's huge. And you, you, you mentioned you want, you want the attendees to feel inspired that this can be done. What are you hoping the legislators take away from this experience? Because conceivably, they're going to have a lot of conversations on the 21st with their constituents. You know, What do you hope they take away?
3: Yeah, uh, well, that goal is to have um, as many constituents speak with them as possible, uh, because they do claim that they haven't heard enough about Medicaid expansion from from their constituents, which we know isn't. Yeah, we we know that isn't true. But you know, we like to make a real public display to show (laughs) like for sure, like, look, dudes. (laughs) Uh, But we look how many people we have here. But also, um, we have polling that shows that um, 70% of Alabamians already support Medicaid expansion. So, um, Including a that... majority
0: of Republicans, if I'm not mistaken. Yes,
3: including a majority of Republicans. So I think that's the biggest message that we want to send home to, uh, to the legislators is look at all these people who showed up. This is a representation of that polling that we have showed you over the last couple of years. Um, it, You know, people want this done. You need to give up your politics, stop whining over it (laughs) and give people access to healthcare. Um, it makes sense, you know, uh, to, to give people the coverage that they need, not only, um, and morally, but also financially, um, we have, we can do it.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you kind of stopped with that, that perspective there because it is the right thing to do just from a humanitarian level, the idea that our brothers and sisters in the community are suffering when they don't have to. Uh, but one thing that Alabama Rise, Cover Alabama, even Auburn University researchers and others have really done a, done a good job hammering home the economic impact and I've oft, often said on the show that Medicaid expansion in Alabama would be one of the most significant economic development projects in recent history of our state. I think it would go right up there with, you know, the TVA and the Alabama Community College System and some of these other major pieces of infrastructure and investment in our state. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily have this on my list for you, but could you elaborate any more on? Why would Medicaid expansion be good, not just for the people who are gaining health care, which is obvious, but what about for the rest of the state and and the state's economy?
3: Yeah, I mean, mean, so as as you were were saying, saying, like, like, it would would be really, really really great great for our state's economy and have just just as as much impact impact as, as, um, you know, like Redstone Arsenal and Huntsville. Um, so so we, we would expect, expect
0: that, that about twenty thousand new jobs would be
3: created, created from Medicaid, Medicaid expansion. expansion, and, and twenty that thousand would, jobs. Twenty thousand jobs. Now, okay, I gotta stop you there.
0: <laughs> I gotta stop you there because twenty thousand <laughs> yeah. jobs—that's a lot of jobs. And I hear a lot of politicians on my TV and see them in my newspapers bragging about a hundred jobs here, you know, three hundred mm-hmm. jobs there. You're telling me Medicaid expansion could create up to twenty thousand jobs in the state of Alabama.
3: Yes, Uh, according to the Public Affairs and Research Council of Alabama, that's that's the number that they came up with. If we want to get really specific, it's twenty thousand eighty-three new jobs in the state of Alabama that would be created as a part of Medicaid expansion. And um, on top of that, you know, we would see an estimated um, two billion dollar impact, economic impact per year on the state of Alabama. Um, And it would actually save our general fund money if we were able to expand Medicaid. Um, So there's just really no viable reason to to not expand Medicaid at this point. Um, And it would also help us keep a healthy workforce, right? Um, So a lot of times you might hear that um, folks, you know, if they have health coverage, through Medicaid, then they may not want to go to work. But I think it's just the opposite. Like if you're able to get health coverage, um, let's say that you have um, diabetes and you're able to get Medicaid and get your insulin um, and you're able to be treated, then you're able to go back to work, right? So um, whatever ailment or illness that you have um, that's preventing you from work, you can get treatment by having Medicaid coverage, and it would be able to help you get back to work. So I don't think people look at that impact enough as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And and I have heard a little bit of those arguments coming from certain circles that uh, maybe it disincentivizes people to work. But that just truly, to me, makes no sense whatsoever. uh, Um, Because someone who is without health coverage is not treating their illnesses or their injuries, which ultimately is going to result in more missed work, Uh, Right. I mean, I I think the example of someone with diabetes is a perfect one. Um, That's a situation where people need ongoing health care, ongoing medication to maintain. Uh, Right. So, you know, uh, this is for and, and as you explained earlier about the gap, right, this is for working people. These are people who have jobs. They are earning money. They are earning wages, but the wages are not enough. To, to get the subsidies, but it's too much for the current Medicaid system, so it's, uh, you know, I know there's a tendency among some to uh, demonize government assistance and demonize government benefits, uh, but this is something that provides health coverage for working people, people who right. need the health coverage, uh, and ultimately, that's gonna lift all boats uh, by, by benefiting our economy and, um, you know, the, the job impact, the economic impact. And, and the last thing on that that I wanted to uh, kind of pull out for a sec is, is the financial aspect of it. Because if I heard you correctly, this will ultimately save money for the general fund. And mm-hmm. I believe the research has been pretty clear that this is a program that will pay for itself. Uh, yes. You know, it seems there maybe is some more debate about like upfront costs potentially, but mm-hmm. it seems pretty clear that like once this thing's up and running, it's not going to be a drain on the budget. In fact, it will it will be a boon to the budget, uh, and and will save in certain other areas. While of course we'll benefit from the additional revenues created by the academic uh, the economic activity. Uh, mm-hmm. So. When I hear legislators say they can't afford to do it. You're
3: I, I just have to think. Well, I just have to think and hope that maybe <laughs> they haven't been educated on some of the new developments um, that have happened with Medicaid expansion over the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Um, before some new economic incentives were passed, um, we would have had to look for some upfront costs, about $225 million a year for for Medicaid expansion. Uh, But with the American Rescue Plan that passed back in 2021, there was actually an incentive for holdout states um, to go ahead and expand their Medicaid program, where uh, they would offer a 5% um, increase in the current Medicaid match rate um, for the first couple of years in order to pay for it.
0: But, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is it's, it's strange to pretend as if something that will pay for itself is unaffordable and uh-huh. something that, you know, and, and something business folks know full well is that sometimes you spend some money to make some money. Sometimes you uh-huh. invest and the investment pays off. And this, to me, seems like an investment in the people of Alabama and the health and well-being of Alabama, and it's an investment that will pay off. And and I'll ask you this: um, are, Is there any state that's expanded Medicaid that has reversed it?
3: No, <laughs> no, none have reversed it. Um, we are actually up to thirty-nine states um, that have expanded Medicaid so far. Um, it really looks like North Carolina is going to do it very soon. Um, it just passed their house. And um, their Senate and house announced a deal literally last week um, that they agreed on, that they said that they're going to pass very soon. Um, So really excited for for North Carolina. They'll be, looks like they'll be number 40. Um, I want us to be number 41. And I'm really praying and hope that we can do that. And I know that we can, as long as we have everybody speak up and speak out for for medicaid expansion and put it on the top of the list of legislators minds
0: absolutely and and this you know this seems like if we're going to do it why not now why not this year uh there's momentum behind it now we've got other states in the south that have done it um you know taxpayers in these other states their federal dollars they're enjoying the full benefits of those federal dollars they pay towards the Medicaid program, whereas we are not in the state of Alabama. So, um, as you said, it's it's going to take a people push. It's going to take folks really talking to their legislators and having conversations and sharing not just the facts, but, but those anecdotes as well. You know, those of you who are listening, if you're in the coverage gap or if you have a family member, a coworker, a friend in the coverage gap, Uh, Those stories sometimes resonate more with legislators than, you know, the facts and figures. Perhaps it shouldn't be that way, but it is often.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Those personal stories are so crucial um, to turning the tide. So, um, and we do story collection on that. So if you do have a a story that you would like to share um, to to help us get Medicaid expansion across the finish line, you can visit um, coveralabama.org slash share um, your story there. I also want to mention how you can go about uh, letting us know that you'll be at Lobby Day. Um, That's also on CoverAlabama.org, and it's under the Action tab, and you'll see uh, 2023 Lobby Day. You can just click on that, and um, that'll take you to the registration page. If you can't make it to Lobby Day for some reason, um, which I know a lot of your viewers are going to be up in North Alabama, so I know it's a little bit of a trek to get down to Montgomery, right? Well, we that's no excuse. You need to still have your voice heard, right? Um, so we made, it, we made it really easy for you. Um, you can just go to coveralabama.org slash alert, and um, you can put your information about where you live into that, and it'll pop up an email that you can send to your legislators um, demanding that they expand Medicaid and, and giving the reasons why we should go about doing it. So, so please take a moment to do that, to, um, to fill out that action alert and email your legislators about Medicaid expansion. It can make all the difference in the world. Um, and that will also go about um, signing you up for other emails from Cover Alabama. So you'll know about events that we have coming up um, and we do, you know, occasionally we'll do regional events. Like I'm sure we'll do some in, in Huntsville over, over the next few months. So, um, yeah, lots of benefits to, to going there and filling out that alert for us.
0: Absolutely. So I definitely encourage folks to get plugged in. Uh, go to coveralabama.org slash alert. Contact your political representation. Uh, be signed up for the email list. Like you need if you live in the state of Alabama and you care about working class people, you are a working class person. I just can't recommend it enough that you should be signed up with Cover Alabama to support the work they're doing to join in on the work that they're doing. Uh, and you guys are on social media as well, correct?
3: Yes. Yes. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, just at for Alabama on Twitter and Cover Alabama on, on Facebook. So you can follow us there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience about cover alabama your upcoming work or medicaid expansion in general
3: yeah um just know that we can get this done you know if we can't i know we've been working on it for a while but i really believe we're at a point of momentum where if we really all come together and speak as one and demand medicaid expansion from our legislature and from governor ivy um that'll get that'll happen it'll get done um, and these folks without health care coverage, who aren't able to go to the doctor, who aren't able to access prescriptions, they'll finally be able to to get the health care that they need and deserve. So um, please stand with us and take action.
0: Absolutely. I second that 100%. This is the year to get it done. Um we we you know we can't keep kicking this can down the road there are too many people who stand to benefit too many people stand to suffer if it continues if the status quo continues um, and you know we can see the news we can see legislators talking about extra money in the budget even in the general fund budget not just the education budget in fact mm-hmm. i saw the number 300 million um so
3: it's the money is already there let's be real and <laughs> there
0: There's extra money there. That's before you even factor in that the money. The extra incentive. yep, The extra incentive. Then you've got the economic impact of how it's going to pay for itself. I mean, we're out of time is up for excuses. The excuses aren't going to work anymore. It is up to everyday people to join together and make this happen. So Debbie Smith from Cover Alabama Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for uh, for the work that you're doing in Montgomery and across the state of Alabama. Uh, and we really encourage all of our listeners to stand with you and join the effort.
3: Thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely.
2: So that was our interview with Debbie Smith from Cover Alabama. So make sure that if you've if you've missed any part of the show, make sure that you're following us on YouTube because we always clip segments of the show and release them throughout the week on YouTube, and that's a good one to go back and watch. Uh, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that on Friday... Uh unions in North Alabama are going to be meeting for a Thirsty Friday event uh at Jonathan's Grill in Madison. Uh it's very, very casual, just hanging out uh with union members uh, across, you know, across North Alabama. Uh so if you don't have anything to do on Friday at 5 PM, go ahead and join us. Um there is an RSVP. It's not, you know, it's not like it's super um the RSVP is you know you can come if you don't RSVP but if you do RSVP it'll help us know how many you know how many people to ask for and you can do that at tinyurlcom 24 mar friday uh and we'll also put that in the uh in the chat but yeah uh go ahead and and uh come out to that we've shared it on the Valley Labor Report the North Alabama Area Labor Council has um, has shared it on their Facebook page, so you can go out, go and find more information there. Uh, I know that I'm going to be there. Adam's probably going to be there. There's going to be some machinists there, some letter carriers. It's going to be a good time. I'm hoping, and I'm going to be reaching out to the Teamsters uh, to see if they, you know, to make sure that their UPS drivers and the new uh, school bus drivers know about this so that they can come and, you know, meet the rest of their Union sisters and brothers here in Hun- Huntsville in the greater North Alabama area. So, Yeah, come on out Friday, March 24th at 5 p.m. at Jonathan's Grill in Madison. Also want to say we've got a new sponsor of the Valley Labor Report, and we very much appreciate their sponsorship. That is the United Auto Workers Union. And so, uh, do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? If you are, then consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today and find out more and contact us at uniting autoworkers workers on facebook or contact UAW region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net that is www.uawregion the number 8.net a better future is ours appreciate that sponsorship from the united auto workers going to get that. um, We're going to make sure that we get that recorded so that that is in our rotation for the next program. We have a few plugs before we head into overtime. Uh, Just a reminder that we also air on Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, which is a Huntsville-based internet radio station. You can listen live on Live 365. Uh, Just search Unclaimed Mysteries Radio. We're on there Thursday and Friday mornings. The ACLU of Alabama is holding a "Work the Ledge" virtual session on Monday, March 20th, from 6 to 7 p.m. This is an Alabama Legislature 101, a legislative advocacy training type thing. Cover Alabama has their lobby day on Tuesday, March 21st, and you can register online. If you can't attend, then please go to coveralabama.org/alert to fill out the form and contact your representative. Uh, Speaking of lobby days, the Alabama AFL is conducting their lobby days on April 4th and 5th, so uh, you can go and hang out there if you are so inclined. The North Alabama Labor Council is having the Thirsty Friday event on Friday, March 24th, and we're having a barbecue on April 22nd at Montesano Park. Alabamians for Fair Justice is holding a lobby day on April 4th, and Labor Notes is holding a series of online trainings. We're going to be going into overtime now, so make sure that you stay tuned. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, all power to the workers.